This morning, um, we're going to be talking very briefly about experiencing Christ more deeply, right? We're in the book of Philippians, so our passage this morning is going to be Philippians 3, um, verse uh, 1 through 11. Uh, but first, I want to tell you guys a little story about this um, kind of like big realization I had when I lived in Spain. So as some of you may or may not know, depending on you know, how much I've talked to you, because I talk about it a lot, um, back in college, I lived and I studied for six months in Seville, Spain. So Seville is the third biggest city in Spain. It's in the southern region, the Andalusian uh, province. And it's this really beautiful, kind of like old Spain um, city. And I really loved my time in, in Seville. It was really, really incredible. I loved it so much that um, maybe God willing... Um, Kate and, 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 and I and our family might uh, move back there someday and live there for an extended period of time. But, um, but to go back to the story, um, uh, so I was part of a group of about 50 students from Texas Tech University. We all went from Lubbock to Seville to study, to live um, for a spring semester. And so it was like May of 2009, right? The semester was coming to a close. And, um, and so what do, oh, this is Seville, right? It's beautiful. It's just an incredible city. Um, that just, it's, I mean, so much culture, so much passion, so much life. Um, man, I'm, I, I can't look at that picture anymore. I'm going to miss it too much. Um, but anyway, but we were, uh, it was like May, and all of us were celebrating because our semester was coming to a close. So we did like the most American thing ever. We decided that we were going to go to a happy hour in the one American restaurant in Seville, besides McDonald's, which, it, believe it or not, is a TGI Fridays, right? So there's a TGI Fridays in the Nervion Mall in Seville, Spain. And, and they had a really awesome happy hour, and it was American, and so, you know, like, silly, obnoxious American college students, we were like, let's all go and crowd this bar for happy hour and celebrate our semester coming to a close. Um, and I remember talking to almost all of my classmates during that, that evening, uh, because, like, the last two or three weeks, I could notice that there were, like, two groups forming in my classmates, right? There was one group, which I belonged with, that kind of shared my sentiment that um, we were like deeply sad because our time was coming to an end and we didn't want to go back home. Like we um, have like experienced Spain and, and, and Seville began to feel a little bit like home to us. We felt a little bit like we were Spaniards, right? So we were sad. We didn't want it to end. And then you had the other group of students who um, were like so excited that the semester was coming to a close. They could not wait to go back home and sit on their couch in Texas and eat Whataburger, right? They were like, I'm done. I don't feel like a local here. Uh, I don't really fit in. I want to go back home. So um, my big realization after talking more with both groups about why they felt the way they did was that the group over here that felt homesick and lonely and were ready to go back Um, I kind of realized that they never experienced, like, true Spanish life. Like, they never got to experience living in Spain, like, truly living in Spain. And and I think that there were two determining factors that kind of separated the groups on whether they experienced that real Spanish lifestyle and whether they didn't. And and the first factor was that those of us um, over here, my peers and I, that really felt a little bit like locals, we actually tried to learn the language. And, and when I say that, like, we, in public, all the time, embarrassed ourselves because we only spoke Spanish, right? That's something that's hard for adults. When adults are learning language, it's hard to get over that fear factor because you're going to butcher the language. But one of the most important things you can do when you begin to learn a language is start to use it and start to speak it right away. You can't wait until it's perfect and then you just, you just start talking full sentences. You just got to use it right away. You got to start speaking it. And so there's going to be embarrassing moments where you really mess it up. 
Um, but we in that group kind of fought through that embarrassment. We spoke the language as much as we could. And because of that, I think that we actually understood and appreciated the Spanish language more at the end of the semester. And, and, and because of that, we wanted to like, engage with the Spanish world around us all the time. Like, we loved going and ordering food, and we loved going, you know, to, like, the mass on Sunday morning, and we loved doing all these things because we, we understood and we wanted to participate in this Spanish communication. And the second factor um, that kind of separated the groups was that those of us over here um, went outside of our American student bubble and made relationships and friends with the locals, right, with Spaniards, and, and, you know, we ate with them, we laughed with them, we cried with them, we traveled around the country with some of them, um, we played, you know, football, soccer with them. Um, because of that, because of those relationships we formed, we felt like a, a connection to this location, to this geographic location of Seville, Spain. Well, these people really didn't. So these are just two simple things that kind of seemingly, like, made the difference Right? And wanting to stay in Spain and experience more or being lonely and homesick and wanting to go back home. And I really think that those who didn't experience like the true Spain, they really missed out on something. Like I believe that. And, and so where I'm going with this is, is family, I think as kingdom people, as followers of Jesus, right, we often miss out on the fullness of living deeply with Christ because we can't move past things that keep us from experiencing him more deeply. So the question I want to ask you this morning is, what is keeping us from experiencing Christ more deeply? You know, one of our values as the vineyard, right, we just all proclaimed it together, is that we want to experience and worship God, which is really to say we want to experience and worship Christ. Um, but what I think that, that, that phrase should actually say is that we want to experience and worship Christ deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper as our faith journey goes on, right? We don't want a static faith. We want a dynamic faith where we keep going deeper and deeper into experiencing God in his kingdom. But the problem is, I think too often the American church, right, we preach a message that once someone comes to this like life-changing knowledge and experience of Christ, that there is this one-time like cataclysmic event known as conversion, and then we're scot-free, right? That's it. We're saved, we found God, our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, no more hell, right? All these kind of cliche phrases, right? The American church, you know, to the detriment of, of the true gospel, I believe, you know, puts this incredible emphasis on this one-time revelation of God that leads to, like, someone feeling, you know, convicted and then walking down an aisle and then going to the altar and then, you know, praying this prayer, accepting Christ, um, maybe getting baptized, and then pretty much living life exactly the same as it was before. Uh, but family, here's the deal. This logic, it does not coexist. It cannot coexist with the people that are praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It can't coexist. And that's because instead we have to understand that experiencing Christ, what that does, if we truly experience Christ, it makes us want to seek him and experience him and his kingdom even more and more until the day when the kingdom comes in fullness and we can experience Christ in like full 360 surround sound. Right? But until that day, we have this desire to seek him more and more. That is what a true believer of Christ is. You know, A.W. Tozer uh, wrote it like this in his book, The Pursuit of God. To have found God and still to pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. 
scorned indeed by the too easily satisfied religionist, but justified and happy experienced by the children of the burning heart. You see, family, if we truly believe that Jesus has started to build his church, right, started to build his kingdom here on earth, then we have to, in response, live a life of experiencing and worshiping King Jesus more deeply and more deeply as our faith journey goes on. And here's what happens. In getting to know and experience Jesus more deeply and more deeply, our lives actually begin to change, right? Our souls change, our habits change, our views change, our opinions change, right? Like, our paradigm totally shifts and we actually begin to take on the characteristics of Jesus and then we actually begin to display the kingdom of God here on earth where we live, in our neighborhood, to our friends, to our enemies, to everybody. That's what happens. This entire change in our lives, right, this is just called discipleship. That's all it's called. Discipleship, spiritual formation, whatever you want to call it, that's what it is. That it's this lifelong progression of changing and being formed to Christ. Right? This everyday life of discipleship is what we truly mean when we all proclaim the value of experiencing and worshiping God. That's what we mean. We desire lifelong spiritual forming to Christ. So to go back to my original question, what is it that is keeping us from experiencing Christ more deeply? From becoming molded more and more into Jesus himself. So let's look at what Paul said about this to the church in Philippi as we continue in Philippians. So we're in chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Does someone want to read this? Anybody? Great, thank you. Go ahead. Uh, so start, start at the top and, and keep going all the way to, through verse 11. Yeah, keep going. You're doing great. Thank you. Appreciate it. 
All right, so obviously there are a number of things that can keep us um, from experiencing and knowing Christ more deeply, but I think Paul touches on at least three things here. Um, and the first one is, is this. I think we too easily allow ourselves to be influenced by the wrong people. Right? Paul says it like this in, in verse 2. Steer clear of the barking dogs, those religious busybodies, all bark and no bite, all they're interested in is appearances. Knife-happy circumcisers, I call them. Right? So Paul calls them barking dogs, religious busybodies, all bark and no bite. Right? We might say they're all flash and no substance. Or if you were my good old boy Southern Baptist youth pastor, you would use your favorite phrase, which is, they talk the talk but don't walk the walk. Right? My youth pastor loves saying that all the time. Right? They, so that's what Paul's saying about these guys. They talk the talk, they don't walk the walk. Does anyone in like the cultural stratosphere today sound like these people? Okay, so, so here's what's going to happen, all right? I'm going to show you three real quotes, real quotes, from real people, all right? I'm not going to name names, we're not here to judge, but I'm going to show you three real quotes from real people who in our culture today, right, have pedigree, have power, have influence, right, have credentials. Not only that, but they claim Christ and they have the ear of millions and millions of listeners, okay? But, but here, here are three things they've said in public, all right? The first one. If more good people had concealed carry permits, then we could end those Muslims. We could end those Muslims. Now here's the second one. If we continue to allow Muslim immigration, we'll see much more of what happened in Paris. It's on our doorstep. We should stop all immigration of Muslims to the U.S. And here's the third one. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose voters. Right? I'm not here to make a political statement, but, but family, as, as followers of Christ, these words are crazy. This does not coexist with the message that we're supposed to preach. Right? We're supposed to exhibit a gospel of love, of humility, of repentance, reconciliation, compassion for the poor, caring for the exile and the refugee. Right? Jesus tells us to turn the other cheek, to love everyone, even our enemies, unto death. Right? But, but these are words of, of what? They're words of hatred? The words of division, the words of fear, the words of self-promotion, right? Kind of self-bragging. Friends, I, I implore you, along with Paul, to steer clear of these busybodies, of these religious dogs, barking dogs, right? They're all bark and they're no bite. I promise you, their ways are not going to lead to knowing and experiencing the kingdom of Christ deeper. They're not. They're not. All right, secondly, I think we sometimes don't experience Christ more deeply because we trust too heavily in our own credentials and our own reputation, right? Paul talks about it like this. You know my pedigree, a legitimate birth, circumcised on the eighth day, an Israelite from the elite tribe of Benjamin, a strict and devout adherent to God's law, a fiery defender of the purity of my religion, even to the point of persecuting the church. I was a meticulous observer of everything set down in God's law book. The very credentials that these people are waving around as something special, I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash, along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand. Everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. It's dog dung. I really wish that this translation... So in the actual Greek, that phrase dog dung is like way more filthy. 
I really wish I could use the actual phrase here, but we'd have to beep it in the podcast, and Ulani's back there, and y'all would probably kick me out. But, like, like a more accurate translation would be, you, you know, all right? So we'll say dog poop, okay? Or dog crap, all right? Like, that, that's what Paul is saying. Like, I mean, we're talking, like, the lowest of the lowest of the low, right? All that stuff he considered as dog crap. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. You see, Paul, by the standards of the religious elite of his day, and, and remember, the religious elite of that time were like the cultural elite. They were the power and where he was. So by those standards, Paul was probably like the most credentialed man there was. Right? And in terms of like the religiosity of man, he had everything you were looking for for a leader, to be like this public figure. Paul's reputation in that community was stellar, but everything that others thought were gain for Paul, that Paul, you know, that people said this is gain, right? Paul counted it as loss, and not only loss, but, but dog crap. Paul counted it as nothing, like lower than nothing. It's filth. That's because Paul knew that your own pedigree, right, your own credentials, Right? Your own education, your talents, your abilities, your stellar reputation in the community, that doesn't lead you to this better life of experiencing Christ and worshiping him more deeply. It doesn't lead you there. And, and so, family, this sounds like a really simple thing to understand, but I think it's super important that we as a church fight against this temptation to rely on ourselves every day. When I was reading this, it reminded me a little bit of what Jesus himself says to the church in Sardis, right, in Revelation 3. I think we have it up here. Right? So in Revelation 3, John writes, The one holding the seven spirits of God in one hand, a firm grip on the seven stars with the other. That just means Jesus. Right? Jesus speaks, I see right through your work, Sardis. You have a reputation for vigor and zest, but you're dead. Stone dead. Right? Another translation says, On the outside you look clean, but you're dead on the inside. Now, River City Vineyard, we have to humbly look at ourselves in the mirror every day, I think, and ask, do we care more about our presence and our reputation in the community, about our programs and our good works, more than we care about our love and desire for Jesus. All those things aren't bad things, right? Being present in the community, having a good reputation in New Braunfels, right? Owning your own business, having money and power, right? Having political clout, having followers. These aren't, you know, having a master's degree. These aren't bad things. They aren't bad things. But those alone aren't going to lead to this life that we proclaim that we want, experiencing Christ and worshiping him more deeply. Right? We have to be willing to throw away the credentials, the pedigree, our successes, our reputation. We have to be willing to admit, yeah, it's, it's dog crap compared to knowing Jesus. Right? River City Vineyard, are we dead on the inside? Or is our priority, is our most important thing, the most vital thing that anyone can say about us is that, you know what? They love Jesus. They desire to seek him. And lastly, I think Paul um, mentions this. The third thing that sometimes keeps us from experiencing Christ deeply is our aversion to suffering. Right? He says it like this in verse 10. I gave up all that inferior stuff so I could know Christ personally, experience his resurrection power, be a partner in his suffering, and go all the way with him to death itself. If there was any way to get in on the resurrection from the dead, I wanted to do it. 
Family, I can guarantee you one thing is going to happen on your faith journey. I don't know where God's going to take you, but there's one thing that is a promise that I know is going to happen to you. And the Bible talks about it again and again and again, right? It's just a normalcy of the Christian walk. And it's that we're going to suffer in this life. Like, that's a guarantee. We are going to suffer in this life, right? If you remember, Paul in Acts warns all these young churches, right, that only through tribulation, only through many tribulation, will you enter further into the kingdom of God, right? And in 2 Timothy, Paul says this, all you who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will encounter persecution and suffering, right? And then if you remember in John, right, Jesus himself says, if they persecute me, surely they will persecute you. Right? This is a biblical promise, and we know God's promises always come true. We are going to suffer in this life. But here's the hard thing. We don't like suffering because, duh, like suffering is hard. Right? Suffering stinks. It causes emotional and physical pain. It's lonely. It makes us feel like we're not ourselves. But here's the incredible thing about fighting through the suffering and suffering together with Christ. On the other side of suffering is intimacy with Jesus. We get to know and experience Christ more deeply than before when we go through the suffering. If you remember going back to Acts, remember Stephen? So Stephen is preaching in public, right? The Romans take him. They're dragging him through the city. They're about to kill him. And what happens, right? In Acts, Luke writes this about Stephen. Right at that moment of suffering, Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit and he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Right? In the midst of this suffering, Stephen experiences this incredible, like, eye-to-eye contact, this intimacy with Jesus that he had never experienced before. Right? He experienced knowing Christ so much more deeply in the midst of this suffering. Family, I think there's a special divine revelation, a special intimacy with Christ that's prepared for those who suffer. I do. All right, so to end this, uh, once again, there's a lot of things that can keep us, obviously, from, from experiencing Christ more deeply. Um, but the point is, uh, after showing these things, like, this is hard. This is difficult, right? Discipleship, conforming to Christ, right? Spiritual formation, this is really difficult stuff, right? It takes awareness. It takes persistence. And here's the bad thing. Honestly, we can't do it alone. Like, we have no shot if we're trying to do this by ourselves. We cannot experience Christ more deeply as a lone ranger. We can't. And, and Paul is actually going to talk about this later on in chapter 3. We won't get there today. But later on, he's going to talk about running the race with others beside you. Finding people who have the same goal and doing it together. And so here's the point I want to get to today. It's only in community, in the context of community, that this daily conforming to Jesus happens best. It's in community where we can be warned to steer clear of the barking dogs. It's in community where we can be gently rebuked when we begin to rely too much on ourselves, right? It's in community where we can together share in each other's sufferings, share in the suffering of Christ, and experience this intimacy with Jesus. Family, we need each other. We need each other to experience and worship Christ more deeply. And so to end today... um, I just want to talk a little bit about something that we do at the Vineyard that I think is really healthy. This is not the end-all, be-all of spiritual community. This is not like the, you know, ah, the solution. This is one small thing that River City Vineyard, like, you know, we do. And I think it's a really healthy example of, of community discipleship. And it's small groups, right? I think we have a really healthy kind of small group 
um, base going on in River City Vineyard where we honestly and, and with all our guards and all our facades and, and all our masks taken off can just be together and learn to be formed to Jesus together. So to, for our kingdom time today, it's going to be real simple. Here are a list of, of the small groups that I know we have going on um, this, for this season, which is February through June. We kind of do this seasonally. So these are the small groups that so far um, these people have said, yes, this is happening, this is a thing. So here's what's going to happen. I want uh, one person, either the leader or just a spokesperson of that small group, someone else who's in that small group, to come up and just kind of explain, you know, this is our small group. We meet here um, at this time. Um, you know, we're talking about this. Just kind of explain their group um, and explain the, the, the logistics, the who and the where, and then go find a, a space to stand, um, you know, in the room. And then when everyone has spoken, I'm going to give you guys the opportunity to, we're going to pray, and I'm going to give you guys the opportunity to kind of find a place, find a small community where you can begin to step into this community discipleship, right? Where we can begin to do this experiencing and worshiping Jesus deeply together. All right? That sound Okay. Alright, so um, can we start with somebody from the, the pain, the pain group? Because I know the pains aren't here. Nate, do you want to explain a little bit? Or 